0: To gather again in the name of Christ. And I don't know about you, I was going through a retreat detox all week and waking up and expecting to see you all and uh, wanting to sing praises with you all, and nobody's there. And um, But what a blessed time God gave to us last week at uh, the Life in the Father's House retreat. Um, We're so thankful to Him. He is so gracious to us as a church, and He blesses us, not because we're a great church, not because we have our acts together or because we do ministry so well, but purely because of his undeserved grace and favor, he uh, blesses us. And last weekend was an example of that. And so we're just so thankful to uh, the Lord for being gracious to us as a church. And um, this morning, I wanted to follow up on some of our thoughts from last weekend by asking you to turn to Galatians chapter 5, Galatians chapter 5 this morning, and as you know, um, our retreat theme was faith working through love, and we looked at the whole idea of loving one another being a fruit of our faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we really tried to emphasize to your hearts that love isn't about making more commitments. It isn't about making better resolutions. It's not about simply becoming more disciplined as a Christian. Love is a fruit of our faith. It is faith working through love. And love is at the end of that phrase in Galatians 5 verse 6. And Elder Bob and Pastor James uh, served us well by helping us to see how love is a fruit of us looking to Christ, how when we look to Christ as our good shepherd, we receive his shepherding care for our lives, and as a result, we have a passion and a concern for fellowship of Christ in the family of God. And we also learn that the qualities of love in 1 Corinthians 13 are really exemplified by the person of Jesus Christ, that all of those descriptions that Paul mentions, how love is kind, love is patient, love is long-suffering, all of those are descriptions of Jesus Christ, and he exemplified every single one of those attributes of love. And so by looking to him and by believing in him, the fruit of that is we begin to love one another this morning I wanted to add a, one final thought on the topic of love, and I want to talk this morning about how the fruit of the Spirit is love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. My message uh, this morning comes from one very simple verse in Galatians 5:22. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Let's uh, read this passage together from Galatians 5, verse 16. Paul says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This morning I want to talk about the Christian's relationship with the Holy Spirit. I want to talk about your relationship with the Holy Spirit and my relationship with the Holy Spirit. And I want to talk about how loving one another is a fruit of us relating to the Holy Spirit of God. If you look at the passage here, you see that Paul's describing the Christian's life in light of the Holy Spirit. In verse 16, Paul says we are to walk by the Spirit. In verse 18, he says we are being led by the Spirit. In verse 25, he says we live by the Spirit. And in chapter 6, verse 8, he says we are to sow by the Spirit. Paul is describing how the entire Christian life is lived, empowered by, led by, filled with the Holy Spirit of God that we live our lives in light of the Holy Spirit. And if you look throughout the New Testament, you find that Paul describes all of the Christian life lived through the power of the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13, Paul said, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. And that First, Paul described the Christian's total identification with the Holy Spirit of God. He says, we have been baptized into the Holy Spirit, literally immersed into the person of who he is, with the result that we have become one body in Christ. What happens when you take a bunch of people from different backgrounds and races and ages and economic status, and you plunge them all into one Holy Spirit, is you don't have an organization, you have an organism, and that organism is the body of Christ. Paul says we've been baptized into the Holy Spirit, and not only that, we have been made to drink of the Holy Spirit. Baptism is an external metaphor. We've been plunged into who he is. Drinking is an internal metaphor. He has come to live inside of us. He indwells us. So that literally, 1 Corinthians 6 says, our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. Just as in the Old Testament, the presence of God dwelt in a special way in the physical temple of Israel so the holy spirit has come to live inside of us our bodies are temples of the holy spirit the idea here is total identification we've been plunged into him externally we have been made to drink of him internally and unlike the saints in the old testament the holy spirit has come to live inside of us in a permanent way in the old testament the Holy Spirit came upon certain men at certain times for specific acts of ministry, but his influence could be taken away. We remember how David prayed, Take not thy Holy Spirit from me after he sinned with Bathsheba. But in the New Testament, Ephesians 1 says, We have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. He has been given to us in a permanent, irrevocable way where he can never be taken away. And Paul says having been sealed with the Spirit, having been baptized into the Spirit, having been filled with the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, we are to walk by the Spirit. And I love how Paul doesn't say, sprint by the Spirit. A Christian, what you need to do is go crazy with the Holy Spirit of God. No, he just says, walk. Just walk. Just walk by the Spirit on a daily, continual basis. Allow his influence and his power to fill your life and begin to bear his fruit in your life. I can't tell you what encouragement this brings to my heart to know that the Holy Spirit lives in me. I mean, little old me. The Holy Spirit has come to dwell inside of me. And I can't tell you what encouragement it brings to me to know that my Christian life isn't about cranking out a list of do's and don'ts. It isn't about just trying harder or doing better or being more committed, but it's receiving the ministry of the Holy Spirit that he has come to help me. And I don't know about you, but I need help. I need a lot of help every day of my life. I need help to be a better husband. I need help to be a better father. I need help to overcome sin. I need help to, man, I need so much help. And the Holy Spirit has come to help me and to help you and to minister to us. Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is love. If you want to love one another, you need to live your life in light of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want this message to encourage you, but I also want to bring up a concern. And my concern is this, is that we as modern day Christians tend to be Holy Spirit shy when it comes to our Christian lives. We tend to be afraid of the Holy Spirit or be tentative about really living in light of the Spirit of God. We tend to live our life as if the Holy Spirit, He didn't exist or that He hadn't come. And I raised that as a concern. I was just thinking this week, why is it that we are shy of the Holy Spirit and his influence in our lives. And I don't believe it's a doctrinal issue, because I think most of you, if we were to ask you, do you believe in the Holy Spirit, you would say, absolutely. But if we asked you, do you really live by the Spirit? Do you rely on the Spirit? Do you trust in the Spirit? Are you following his leadership in your life? I think most of us, if we were honest, we would say, well, I don't usually even think about the Holy Spirit on a day to day basis uh, why is this I just first of all I think we tend to be Holy Spirit shy because of maybe the overreaction to the charismatic abuses of the doctrine of the spirit. I know that um, many of us have come out of a background where the doctrine of the Holy Spirit was abused and mistaught and Because that is your background, we tend to swing the pendulum over to the other side and instead of coming to a biblical and balanced understanding of the Spirit, we tend to live as if we didn't need the Holy Spirit. The charismatic movement tends to downplay the centrality of the Word of God in our lives and so people coming out of that movement tend to come out with a rallying cry that we need to fight for the centrality of the Word of God in the church. Uh, We need to fight for the centrality of Scripture and the text and not be into the abuses of the Holy Spirit. And you know my heart, I'm all for the centrality of the text and I'm all for the centrality of the Scripture, but I would just press you a little bit on this because if you look scripturally at the New Testament, the cry of the New Testament is not just... The text, the text, the text of Scripture. But the cry of the New Testament is the text and the Spirit, the text with the Spirit, the text as ministered by the Holy Spirit. It is always text plus Spirit, Scripture and the Holy Spirit. That is the cry of the New Testament. When Paul preached to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 1 5, he said, Our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Verse 6, he said, You received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. It was the text, it was the scripture, but it was the scripture as empowered by and ministered by and made effectual by. Work of the Holy Spirit. If you look at the book of Acts, you find that the Holy Spirit was ministering the word in the early church. Acts 1 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Acts 2:4, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts 4:8, Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit, and then he preached. Acts 4.31, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts 6.3, the 1st protodeacons proto-deacons were filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts 9.31, the church was walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Acts 13, the Holy Spirit sent Paul, set Paul and Barnabas apart as missionaries. Acts 13.52, the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Acts 15, they settled doctrinal controversies as they were led by the Holy Spirit. Acts 16, the Holy Spirit opened ministry opportunities and closed other opportunities. Acts 20, verse 28, the Holy Spirit appointed elders in the church. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2 that his preaching was a demonstration of the Spirit and of power. You see, the New Testament Rallying cry is not just the text. It's not just the scripture. But it is the text as it is empowered by the Holy Spirit. I think uh, many of us may be overreacting to the abuses of the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, which maybe have been a part of our past. And I would just encourage you, not to throw the baby out with the bathwater, to come to a true biblical understanding of the Holy Spirit and how we, we desperately need him. We need him every day of our lives. There's a second reason why we may be shy of the Holy Spirit, and that is because maybe we don't have an accurate understanding of how the Holy Spirit works maybe we don't have an accurate understanding of how the Holy Spirit works. You know, when Paul talks about being filled with the Spirit and walking by the Spirit and being led by the Spirit and sowing to the Spirit, many of us might say, well, wow, that, damn, that sounds really spiritual. I mean, the Holy Spirit, being filled by Him, that's something that happens at a prayer meeting when we pray for five hours straight and we're up all night and we're delirious and that's when we're filled with the Holy Spirit. Or some of us might have this idea that the filling of the Holy Spirit is something that only happens during the corporate gatherings of the church. It really is just a Sunday thing. It's just a church thing. It really doesn't have anything to do with my life doesn't really have anything to do with my work. I mean, the Holy Spirit, Dan, that's spiritual, but my life is very not spiritual. I mean, I just wake up and I go to work, I eat breakfast, I call my mom, I go to the gym. I I mean, my life is just kind of boring, but we're talking about being filled with the Spirit. And many of us don't see the connection between being filled with the Spirit in our everyday lives. And we think it's something that just happens at church or in intense ministry opportunities. But in Paul's understanding of the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Spirit is something that affects the practical everyday situations of life. In fact, if Paul would say, if you don't understand the filling of the Spirit... And you don't connect that with what you do at work or what happens in your home or how you relate to your children or how you pursue friendships in the body of Christ or how you handle your finances. If you don't connect the Holy Spirit with those issues of your life, you really don't understand what the Spirit wants to do in your life. Because the whole purpose of the Holy Spirit is it's work in this day is to bear his fruit in our lives in a practical, ongoing manner. Flip back a couple pages to um, Ephesians chapter 5. Let me just show this to you, or flip forward. Ephesians chapter 5. And if you look at, there's the command in verse 18 where Paul says, Be filled with the Spirit. I know immediately in all of our minds in my mind is like okay so i got to go to i got to pray 5 hours straight or i got to sing praise songs for an hour straight. i got to be filled with spirit i got to go crazy with the spirit and we disconnect it from everyday life but look at what he says is the result of being filled with the spirit verse 21 submitting to one another out of the reverence for Christ paul says you know what it's going to happen when you're filled with the spirit you're going to be, become a nicer person. You're going to stop arguing with people. You're going to be hum, become humble. You're going to not come into relationships with this one-upsmanship that you have to win, but you're going to want to serve people. You're going to want to submit under them and love them. You're going to become gentle. And the further result in verse 22 is that wives, you're going to submit to your husbands. Verse 25, husbands, you're going to love your wives. Chapter 6, verse 1, children, you're going to obey your parents. Chapter 6, verse 4, fathers, you're going to raise your children. Chapter 6, verse 5, employees, you're going to submit to your employers. Chapter 6, verse 9, employ bosses, you're going to become more fair overseers to your employees man, Paul, all of these practical issues of life flow out of that one exhortation in chapter 5, verse 18, be filled with the Spirit. And if you're filled with the Spirit, you're going to grow as parents and as husbands and as wives and as employees. It affects all of life. And see, you see, Paul would say here, if you see being filled with the Spirit as just some super spiritual thing, that doesn't, Affect what you do at your workplace or what you do in your families. You miss the point because that's not how the Holy Spirit works. Let me just get a little personal here. How much do you rely on the Holy Spirit on a daily basis? Let me just ask you, brothers and sisters. How much do you rely on the Holy Spirit at your workplace? you're, You're crunching numbers or getting a project done at work. How much are you relying on the Holy Spirit? Some of you teachers are dealing with kids all day. How much are you dependent upon Him as you conduct your Christian lives? Students, how much do you rely on the Holy Spirit for your studies? And... Please don't do what I saw one brother do. He didn't study for his test, and then he was praying for the Holy Spirit to give him answers for for the test. I I don't think the Holy Spirit works that way. But I would ask you, how much do you rely on the Holy Spirit for your studies? (coughs) Husbands, how much are you relying upon the Holy Spirit for your marriage or for your parenting? And can I ask you the flip question? Is there something else that you're relying on for your Christian life other than the Holy Spirit of God? Are you placing your trust and your confidence in some other source of power other than the Holy Spirit? Because God would say to us in this passage, you know, you don't need to do that. I've given to you the Holy Spirit And when I see the Holy Spirit working in the New Testament, I'm just amazed. I just look at that and I'm just in awe at the wondrous things that the Holy Spirit did in the New Testament. And I'm just amazed that the same Holy Spirit lives in me. And he lives in you. And he will bear his fruit in us if we walk by his influence. So... The first reason why we might not rely on the Holy Spirit is we maybe we're overreacting to doctrinal abuses. The second reason is maybe we don't see the work of the Holy Spirit as something that is practical or real life. Let me give you a third reason why I believe the Holy Spirit is shy of the holy of why I believe the church is shy of the Holy Spirit. And this one is very simple. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's just pride. maybe we just we just think we're smart enough to figure this out on our own. Maybe we just think that um, we can do it that we're educated enough, we're talented enough, we're organized enough, we're gifted enough, we're just smart enough to do this Christian life thing on our own, and we don't need him. Maybe it's pride. You know, Bob Coughlin asked this question at the Worship God conference two years ago and it's been haunting me ever since. And he said he asked us if the Holy Spirit were to disappear from your church for three months, would anyone notice? I mean, if he were just to withdraw his empowerment and his influence from our church and our lives, would would we even miss a heartbeat? If the Holy Spirit were to disappear, and he were to withdraw from our preaching, withdraw from our second hour classes, and withdraw from our children's ministry, withdraw from our admin, and withdraw from all the things we do as a church, our care groups. If he was just to disappear, would we notice? Or would we just continue on? Life is normal. And just keep cranking out ministry. Because in our hearts, you know, we could do this thing without him. Our ministry is a well-oiled machine. We're experts. We've been doing retreats for years. And we know how to do it. I've been preaching messages for years. I can do it the Holy Spirit were to disappear, would we humble ourselves, and would we cry out to him, and would we say, we can do nothing without you, or would we just continue life as normal? Because in our pride, we really feel that we can do it without him. how desperately do we feel our need for the Holy Spirit? I just admit, I just confess to you that in my own life, in my pride, I just, I don't rely upon the Holy Spirit the way I need to and the way that I ought to. I mean, uh, there's been many times when I've uh, given a message and I feel like, you know, for that last message I gave, man, that was really disorganized. I was unprepared. And yeah, I really needed the Holy Spirit to come through for me there. But but this message, I got three good points, some good illustrations, good exegesis. You know, Holy Spirit can kind of sit this one out. I can take it. It's pride. We we talked about this as a praise team. How we can get so good as musicians. The audio can be great and the praise band's rocking and everything's coming together musically. And because the technical aspects of ministry are excellent, we forget that unless the Holy Spirit blesses this, it is absolutely for nothing. That we can do nothing without him. I know many of you are ministering, with admin team and finance team and pebbles and children's ministry, and we can just get to the point where we're just so good at what we do, we're just so skilled that in our pride we don't rely upon the Holy Spirit. And then why do we need the Spirit? We've got our schedules, we've got our spreadsheets, we have our plans. Why do we need him? And I just want to remind you, brothers and sisters, I just want to give you this truth from my heart, and maybe this will help us with our pride. I want to remind you that every single goal that we have as a church in anything that we do is not just difficult. It is impossible without the Holy Spirit. Every single goal, every single aim, and everything we do it is impossible without the Holy Spirit. I mean, we can do a lot of things without the Holy Spirit. We can pass time, we can schedule people, we can move people from point A to point B, we can give people information but none of the real goals in Christian ministry are possible without the Holy Spirit. We can't change lives. We can't regenerate hearts. We can't free people from idolatry in their hearts. We can't give people new affections. We can't open eyes to see the beauty of Jesus Christ. We can't transform marriages. We can't transform parenting children relationships. We can't produce the fruit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness in people's lives. We can't raise up missionaries. We can't raise up church leaders. We can't do anything. We can't plant churches. None of the real goals, none of the real aims of the church are possible without the Holy Spirit. And what happens when we don't rely upon the Holy Spirit is we just do things. We just give people information. We just pass time. We just entertain people. We just move people logistically from point A to point B. But if the Holy Spirit does not do a work in our hearts, we can do nothing without him. I just, for my own life, it's been such a relief and such a burden off my shoulders just to confess to the Holy Spirit uh, before I do anything, before I teach any class or before I give any message, just to confess to him that unless you are the one who does the work, everything I do is in vain. I desperately need you. And if you don't show up at our retreat, man, we would have rented that hotel for nothing. If if you don't show up and and do a work in our hearts, man, we would have planned all this stuff for nothing. We can't accomplish any of the real goals in ministry without you, Holy Spirit. And we need you. And God says... He is eager to give the Holy Spirit to us if we just ask. The Holy Spirit is not reluctant to bless us. 1 Corinthians 2.12, Paul said this, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. What does he mean by that? He means that, Brothers and sisters, the Holy Spirit is our teacher. The Holy Spirit is our real teacher. And I know we have human teachers listed on your bulletin. I know we say, well, you know, Rex teaches FOF, and Brian Kang teaches premarital, and Elder Bob and Jason and, you know, They teach gospel Christianity and Paul and Gary. I know we have human teachers, but I was just thinking, maybe what we need to do is just erase our names and just put in every single slot the Holy Spirit. Who's giving the message today? The Holy Spirit. Who's teaching FOF? The Holy Spirit. Who's teaching equipping class? The Holy Spirit. Who's in CM today? The Holy Spirit. Which class should I sign up for? Take any one. The Holy Spirit's teaching them all. Because that's the issue. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. And Paul says that when the Holy Spirit teaches us that we understand the things given to us by God. What does he mean by that? Brothers and sisters, he has to mean something more than that we understand. We are accumulating knowledge that we are just filling our brains with Bible information because unbelievers can do that. Unbelievers can read the Bible, unbelievers can accumulate verses. Some of the greatest, most technical Greek commentators were written by unbelievers who understand Greek syntax and grammar, but their hearts and their lives are unchanged by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul's saying is that when the Holy Spirit teaches us, we understand the things of God in our hearts. Our hearts and our lives are open to receive the message of God's word, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our affections are changed. Our idols are We're released from the bondage to our idols. And we're freed to live in light of what Christ has done for us. I believe that when the Holy Spirit teaches us, that what he brings is a sense of the beauty of Jesus Christ into our hearts. He brings a sense of Christ's loveliness a sense of the sweetness of who Jesus is and what Jesus has accomplished. And he gives us a taste for the kindness of God in the gospel. It's not just imparting information. And you see, I can give you information. I can teach you Bible in a way that I taught algebra. Just give you information. You learn the information and you Accumulate stuff in your head. I cannot give you a taste for how beautiful and how precious and how lovely and how glorious Jesus Christ is. I cannot do that. The Holy Spirit must do that work in your heart so that you may understand the things given to us by God. Matthew Henry says that when the Holy Spirit comes and illumines our hearts to understand the truth of God, that it is more than knowing it, it is being intimately and experimentally acquainted with it, it is to be piously and strongly affected with it. It is not just to have the notion of it in our heads, but the relish and savor and power of it on our hearts. Brothers and sisters, I can't do that. I can teach you facts, but only the Holy Spirit can give you the affection for Christ through the power of his word. John Calvin wrote of the illumination of the Holy Spirit for Illumined by him, the soul receives, as it were, new eyes for the contemplation of heavenly mysteries, by the splendor of which it was never before dazzled, and thus the human intellect irradiated by the light of the Holy Spirit, then begins to relish those things which pertain to the kingdom of God, for which before it had not the smallest taste. He says, when the Holy Spirit illumines your heart, you're going to taste, you're going to relish, you're going to savor, you're going to be affected your heart is going to yearn and you're going to develop an appetite for the things of God. And John Owen described it this way. It is not to learn the form of the doctrine of godliness, but to get the power of it implanted in our souls There is a special work of the Spirit on the minds of men, communicating spiritual wisdom, light and understanding unto them, necessary unto their discerning and apprehending aright the mind of God and His Word, and understanding of the mysteries of heavenly truth contained within. I ask you humbly, are we not relying on the Holy Spirit because because of our pride. We think we can do this. We think our ministry is skilled enough to change hearts on our own. And if that is the reason why we're not relying upon the Holy Spirit, then brothers and sisters, we we just need to repent. We just need to repent. And we just need to confess to God we're not smart enough to do this. We're helpless apart from your gracious influence. Now I know many of you are listening to this and you're saying, okay Dan, I get it. Holy Spirit is a gift to me. Maybe I've been overreacting to the doctrine, abuses of the doctrine, maybe I don't, I haven't seen how practical the Holy Spirit is in my life, maybe it's because of my pride, but I want to rely upon the Holy Spirit, I want more of the Holy Spirit's work in my life, I want to experience the empowerment and the leading and the fruit of the Holy Spirit, but how do I do that? How do I get more of the Holy Spirit in my heart and in my life and in my marriage and in my home and in my work? I want this, but how do I get this? And let me end by taking you to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. John uh, chapter 14, Jesus told his disciples that he's going away. He says... um, I'm going away now, and where I'm going, you cannot follow me. The disciples are troubled, and they're anxious. They're saying, we followed you for three years. We've lived with you. We've been with you. And what do you mean you're going away? What do you mean you're leaving us? And Jesus says in John 14, let your hearts not be troubled, believe in God, believe also in me. And then in John 14, verse 16, he makes this astounding promise. He says to the disciples, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. In that passage, Jesus uses the Greek word, paraclete, helper. Uh, The word can be translated comforter or intercessor, advocate, consoler. It's it's a real tender word. It's a word of kindness. Jesus says when the Holy Spirit comes, he's not going to beat you over the head with a baseball bat. He's going to come alongside you and he's going to help you. He's going to minister to you kindly. In other words, don't be afraid, Christian, of the Holy Spirit. Don't be afraid of this whole idea of living by the Holy Spirit of God because his role in your life is he wants to help you. He wants to minister to you with mercy and with kindness. You remember at the baptism of Jesus it says the Holy Spirit came down as a dove and some people say that Holy Spirit actually took the bodily form of a dove and other people say well he just descended like a dove. I I lean toward the fact the Holy Spirit looked like a dove as he descended on Jesus and you say what's the point of that? Why do you look like a dove? It's because the dove was an animal of meekness. The idea is that the Holy Spirit in his power didn't come down like a fighter jet or like a lion or a boar. He came down in meek form. And the idea here is that the Holy Spirit, though powerful, is also tender and he is kind. Jesus said, I'm going to send you a helper. He's going to be your paraclete. If you look at chapter 16, Verse 7, Jesus says something there that's totally amazing. He says to the disciples, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. These disciples are looking at Jesus and saying, you're leaving us. How can we live without you? And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, it is better for you that I go away. Living life under the power of the Holy Spirit will be to your advantage. It will be better for you to be under the Holy Spirit's influence than to even live daily in my physical presence. I look at that and I'm just amazed by that. I've looked at the disciples many times with envy in my heart, saying, oh, if I could just be like them, if I could just walk with Jesus and eat with Jesus and see Jesus with my own eyes, man, how blessed I would be. And Jesus says here, it is better for you to live in the age of the Holy Spirit than it is to live in the age of my incarnation. It is to your advantage that I leave and the Holy Spirit comes. And we might look at that and say, what on earth do you mean by that, Jesus? But just look at church history and look at what the Holy Spirit has done in the last 2,000 years. I mean, how big was the ministry of Jesus after his earthly ministry was done? His influence was confined to one little spot on the planet, the land of Israel, though many were interested in him, really few were true disciples of of him who persevered in their faith. And Jesus says, I'm going away. The Holy Spirit is going to come. And when the Holy Spirit came, he turned this ministry, which was confined to one little place on the planet, and he turned it into a global movement that went to... Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth crossing nations and boundaries and cultures and times and now millions and millions of people in the church of Jesus Christ are true disciples of him because that is the work of the holy spirit and when Jesus said it is Better for you that I go away and the Holy Spirit comes. He really meant that. And he says, The helper will come to you and I will send him to you. So, back to my question How do I get more of the Holy Spirit's power in my life? Chapter 15, verse 26. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Chapter 16, verse 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare to you, All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. For many years, I asked the question, Holy Spirit, how can I get you to bless what I'm doing? Holy Spirit, I'm doing this ministry thing over here. How can I get you to bless this? How can I get you to empower this? Or, Holy Spirit, I'm making this decision in my life. How can I get you to really bless that? How can I get you to bless what I'm doing? And it's in recent times that I've realized that after years of trying to get the Holy Spirit to bless my efforts, that it's not about getting the Holy Spirit to bless what I'm doing. But I need to get in line with what he's doing. If I get in line with his passion, with his purpose, with his priority, with his mission, he will be surely there to bless and to empower. And what is his purpose? And what is his mission? It is simply this, chapter 16, verse 14, Jesus said, The Holy Spirit will glorify me. What is the Holy Spirit passionate about? He is passionate about the person and the work of Jesus Christ. His mission in this day and this age is to take what Jesus Christ has said and lived and done and accomplished on the cross on our behalf and to display it to the world in such a way that many people come to glorify and to embrace and to believe and to trust in the person of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is passionate about Jesus. And if you or if I want to experience his power, if we want to be led by his influence, if we want to be filled with his fruit, what we need to do is stop trying to twist his arm to get him to bless what we're doing, but we need to submit under what he's doing. And the more we submit under his passion, and his priority for in this day and this age, the more he will surely be there to bless and to empower. And what this simply means for us, the bottom line is when you and I fix our eyes on Jesus Christ, when we make the aim of our lives to trust in Him, to display His glory, to love Him, to treasure Him, to see more of His beauty in our hearts and in our lives, when we are focused on the person of Jesus, the Holy Spirit will sure to be there to bless and to empower because that is what He is already Passionate about that is what he wants to do. is he wants to show everyone. Do you see how awesome Jesus is? Do you see how amazing Jesus Christ is? Do you see how inc- glorious it is what He did for us on the cross, His atoning death? his substitutionary sacrifice, his glorious resurrection from the grave, his soon and coming return? Do you see his his lovely character, his compassion, his mercy, his kindness, his grace? Do you see Jesus? And when that's our aim and we say, we just want to love Jesus. We just want to focus on Jesus. We just want to exalt Jesus. We just want to treasure him. We want him to be the center of all that we do. The Holy Spirit His heart is, that is what I am passionate about. I want to glorify Jesus. And he's sure to be there, to bless and to empower. For years I read the Bible to get principles, to get information, to get ammo, to win theological debates, and... The Holy Spirit didn't bless my Bible study. It was dry. It was not life-changing. It, I knew more Bible, but my heart was unchanged. When I looked at the doctrine of inspiration again and how the Holy Spirit wrote the Bible and how the Holy Spirit wrote the Bible in such a way to make the person of Jesus Christ central, how all of the Old Testament anticipated Jesus, How the Gospels revealed Jesus, how the Epistles explained Jesus, how the book of Revelation was the revelation of Jesus, how the Holy Spirit didn't write an autobiography when he wrote the Bible. He wrote the Bible to glorify Jesus. And when I started reading the Bible to savor Jesus Christ, to love Jesus Christ, to see something beautiful about Jesus Christ, every time I opened the Scriptures, the Holy Spirit began to change my heart and illumine my understanding and give me a taste and a relish for who Jesus is. And brothers and sisters, what Paul is saying is when we walk by the Spirit, when we're filled with the Spirit, when we're led by the Spirit, He will lead us to love and to savor and to cherish and to trust Jesus Christ. And when we do that, the fruit of believing in Christ, will be love. We will love one another because our hearts will have been opened to love the one who has loved us. Let's close our time in a word of prayer. Our Father, we bless you this day and give you thanks and praise for the amazing love and mercy you have shown to us. You have not only sent your Son to accomplish the mission of redemption and dying on the cross to save us from our sin, but you have sent the Holy Spirit to apply the work of your Son into our hearts to regenerate our dead hearts and raise us to life, to illumine our minds and our understanding that we may love, cherish, and see Jesus in all the scriptures, to empower ministry, to proclaim this gospel, not only here but around the world. Oh, how we thank you for our helper, our comforter, Our paraclete, the one who bears his sweet fruit in us. We ask, O Father, for forgiveness for our pride. We ask that you would help us to live by and walk by the Holy Spirit of God. And in so doing, come to cherish and love your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand for closing scripture.